the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. More time for our main number, 340-9585. Hey, tonight I'm going to do my best to teach Amos chapter 5. That's at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. And of course, tomorrow is Thursday, and that means Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the show. Now, before I get to some questions and while we're waiting your phone calls, a couple of things you can tell, obviously, I'm really struggling with mountain cedar and I've got this cough, so please forgive me in advance, and I hope that I don't uh, become so distracting that uh, it's painful to listen. Uh, I'm going to do my best. Um, so thank you for your patience with that. Well, let's open with a couple of questions that have been coming in. Here is our first one. Uh, this one is anonymous. This is Hello Pastor. A couple of questions, if I may. Uh, and there's actually three of them. Why should born-again Christians support Israel during this time? Question number two is, why are the Palestinians misguided in their belief that Israel belongs to them? And why can only born-again Christians get to heaven? Thank you for asking. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, This might take a couple minutes. We've got Josh holding on line one. Josh, if you'd be patient, I would be very, very grateful. Um, First, it's obvious you're not a believer. 
and I, I want to uh, answer your questions so that you have an understanding. But most of all, I want you to understand how much God loves you, and uh, the fact that you're curious, you're asking these questions, is really, really a good thing. So why should born-again Christians support Israel during this time? The answer is because Israel is sort of our family. Um, Jesus talked about they're the, the, the uh, vine, we're the branches. Uh, Israel was God's chosen people. Uh, the nation Israel, we're not talking about individual Jews. They have to believe just like everybody else. But Israel, the nation, God called them among all the nations on the earth. God chose one man, Abraham. And Abraham became, we would say, the very first Jew. And that's where Judaism was born. He gave him the sign of the covenant, circumcision. And in doing so, um, that's our roots. That's where it all began. Abraham was a friend of God. Why? Because he believed God. Not that he believed in God. We know that's true also. But he believed God. He took him at his word. And Genesis says very clearly that I will bless those who bless you, speaking of Israel, and curse those who curse you. And we Christians, we are grafted in. They are the natural branches. That's Jesus' words. And that's why we support them. We support them because Jesus is going to return to Israel. He's going to return to Israel. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. That's Revelation chapter 19. And as he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, he's going to reclaim the land for himself. And he's going to sit on the throne of his father, his ancestor David. And all of the promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, and to David will be fulfilled. So we support Israel because they're God's people. They're living in God's land. That leads to the next question. Why are the Palestinians misguided in their belief that Israel belongs to them? They're misguided because the land clearly, biblically, belongs to God. And God gave it to his people, Israel. And as I said in the first question, Jesus is coming back. That's where he's going to establish his throne for a millennial reign, a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, when justice and holiness and righteousness will return. The Palestinians have no claim historically. They have no claim biblically to Israel at all, that land. And in fact, the, 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 the uh, pressure... To find a two-state solution will never work because the Palestinians don't want Israel there. And God's not going to let Israel negotiate away their land. And, and what we're waiting for in these last days is for Jesus to return. And Jesus is getting ready to return. I can tell you that for sure. And when he returns, we're going to find out that that's the land that he's claimed. So the land belongs to God. You know, I, I, I used to say this a lot, and I haven't had the opportunity to talk about it, but negotiations are easy. We could get these world leaders together in a room and establish who the land belongs to. It's easy. God gave it to Israel. He gave it to Abraham. He promised it to David, and that land belongs to them. You know, after being out of their land for more than 1,900 years, from 70 A.D. until 1948, it was only the hand of God that brought Israel back into their nation. Of course, God used the Holocaust and the sympathy of the world at that time for the atrocities that occurred to, to Jews. And the reality is, 
I'm sorry, that was a cough break. Uh, the reality is that um, they are the only ones to whom God has promised. God called them. Now, the second, the third question, this is the most important one for you, Anonymous. Why can only born-again Christians get to heaven? The answer is because only born-again Christians have dealt with sin. You see, the thing that separates us from God is sin. It's not where you're born. It's not what religion that you were raised in. It's sin. And there's no other answer for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The Bible says Jesus alone can forgive sins. And he died on the cross. He took the wrath of God upon himself. He took the punishment that your sins and mine deserve. And what we need to do is be grateful for that. And anybody else that wants to go to heaven, you don't get to heaven by being a good person. You don't get to heaven by, by, by being a religious person. You don't get to heaven by being a Texan. You get to heaven by being born again, having your sins forgiven. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And the only way that you and I, Anonymous, can be forgiven of our sins is to have our sins forgiven, and the only remedy for that is the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's very important you understand that. It's not that Christians are better. It's not that that uh, other people from other religions uh, are not um, as good as we are. None of that's true. It's because there's only one way to deal with sin, and that's in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So when we ask Jesus into our heart, and we do that on the authority of the historicity of Jesus. He was a real person. He really lived. He really died. The evidence is overwhelming. And he didn't stay dead. He is alive now. And he ever lives, Hebrews chapter 7 says, to make intercession for the saints. He is an everlasting statement of intercession. He is the reason that people like me, Terrible, terrible, terrible sinners. He's the reason that I now can approach God. And no one else can approach God because we can't get there on our behavior or by trying to be a good person. You know, we try to do good. We want to be good, but we can never be good enough. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus speaking. He said, if you want to get into heaven without believing in me, the way you do that is to be perfect. And anonymous, nobody has been perfect ever. Jesus gave us his perfection. We're working it out on this world. But when we stand before the Lord, he will see us perfect and complete. That's why only born-again Christians are going to be in heaven. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Josh on line one. Josh, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor. Thank you for uh, uh, everything you do for the Lord, because I know you're a little bit under the weather, and you just keep on trucking along, and on behalf of your listeners, we just want to thank you for that. Thank you, Josh. God bless you. I had a question on um, on purgatory, uh, because I've asked, well, Jesus never spoke about purgatory, so why? where does the doctrine come from? And... Uh, I was told that actually the Lord did speak about purgatory when he talked about the four stages of, um, I guess, uh, punishment. 
And Jesus was saying, I guess it was like a parable, he said, the first one is the person is cut in half, which would represent hell, of course, because that's death. And then there's the second one that would be severely beaten because uh, they knew the truth, but they went against the truth. Uh, The third is um, they will be beaten, but not seriously, because, uh, yes, they did not do good, um, but they did it out of ignorance. And then, of course, the fourth one is heaven. And uh, I wanted your opinion on that. Yeah, Josh, none of that is biblical. Um, You know, Jesus did speak uh, that um, there would be different degrees of punishment in hell. God is just. And so the the man like Adolf Hitler is going to be punished more severely than somebody who's just a good person, tries to do the right thing, but still has sin, and sin separates him from God. And Jesus said it this way. He said, um, some will be beaten with many blows. Some will be beaten with fewer blows. And he was speaking um, figuratively uh, to describe the different punishments to him. That's New Testament. That's in the Gospels. What you're quoting or what you are, are listening to is is um, uh, books, theories that have nothing whatsoever to do with the Bible, with Scripture at all. And all of it is based on Catholic, Catholic tradition and apocryphal um, doctrine. Really, purgatory does not appear anywhere in our Bibles. And so what Catholics did was make it up. They made it up because what they wanted to do, and this is uh, in the Middle Ages is when it started, they wanted to find a way to get money. They, they, they sold indulgences. And the indulgences then would give somebody an opportunity to pray their loved ones out of hell or out of purgatory. The problem is that there's no purgatory. Josh, let me recommend to you Luke chapter 16. Because Luke chapter 16 is where Jesus talks about uh, what happens on the day of judgment. He, he told a story. It's not a parable. It's a real story. We know that because no parable uses any names. Uh, uh, and, and there was a, a poor man named Lazarus, a beggar, who suffered a great deal. Um, and there was a rich man. And they died on the same day. And instantly the rich man went into, uh, they, they both went to the abyss. The Greek word is abuso. It's a place in the center of the earth. Jesus went there after his death to set the captives free. But the rich man went there and he was being tormented. Now between him and Lazarus, the beggar, uh, there was a great gulch. So, so one side couldn't go to the other side uh, or vice versa. And while uh, Lazarus was being comforted in a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise, um, the rich man was being tormented. And he cried out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I'm in torment in this fire. And and Abraham said, no, he can't come to you and you can't come to him. And then the rich man said, well, at least send somebody to tell my brothers. And Abraham said, no, that's not going to happen either. Uh, they wouldn't believe if a man, even if a man had raised from the dead. So, Josh, that's what happens instantly 
we are instantly in torment or we are instantly in the presence of the Lord. Now, just so you're not confused, the place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. Remember, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth to set the captives free. Now, while the captives were in paradise, and paradise by definition is a really good place um, to set the captives free, uh, they were still captive. Well, Jesus, upon his death and then his resurrection, he took them into the presence of his father. Their sins had been paid for. Up until that point, uh, their sins had only been covered over. And because they believed in the Messiah, the Christ to come, uh, they were declared righteous by faith. But Jesus went down and he took them in his train, it says. He took captivity captive and he took them to heaven where they would now be permanently forever and ever. So um, purgatory, Josh, is not in the Bible. It's it's absolutely made up. It's religious tradition. And there's a lot of things that we like, you know, to make us feel better about um, um, what happens after we die. Um, there is no second chance. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed unto men once to die and then face the judgment. So, Josh, that's uh, the answer. And uh, just throw away all of the... You've got 66 books in your Bible. Stick to those and you'll be on really solid ground. Um, don't get caught up in an argument or a debate with Catholics who are going to try to validate the authenticity of the Apocrypha that has never been accepted as canon of Scripture, not even in the Jewish Bibles, uh, not ever. Um, it just is a Catholic fantasy. So thank you, Josh. Appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. Here's a question from Jerry from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor On The phrase, God gave the land to Israel, may sound to some people like God doesn't care about other people, but he cares about Israel. Of course, that's not true. And he cares about and loves the Palestinians. Could you please speak to that? Yeah, Jerry, I can. God loves the world. God loved Adolf Hitler. I used him earlier. But but I got to tell you, Jerry, and this is where we've got to be realistic about it. I know we like to get emotional and sentimental about the love of God, but the love of God is just and the love of God is holy. It is absolutely pure. And with the Palestinians who have sworn, they've sworn to wipe Israel off the map. God loves them, of course, and certainly they're not beyond the forgiveness and grace of God. But he said, I will curse those who curse you to Israel. And that's a, 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 an entire people who are cursing Israel and trying to kill them. And, and I think we just forget. We get so much bias from our media. And the media presents the Palestinians as these innocent victims. And Israel is always the bad guy. They're always the bully. Well, Israel is the one that was attacked on October 7th. And God is aware of that. I'm teaching through Amos right now, and, and God is talking to to uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, about the people that are going to come in and devastate them. Well, that's exactly what happened on October 7th. Israel didn't start that war. The Palestinians did. It is the Palestinians. It's Hamas. And in and, and, the West Bank, it's Gaza, or not Gaza, but but uh, the PLO. 
um, they're the ones who are are carrying out terrorist attacks. Iran is bankrolling the terrorism against Israel. And, you know, they can't do that with impunity. It is also Hamas who is putting the innocents, the innocent people in Gaza in jeopardy. They're the ones who are endangering their lives. So, you know, all this talk from the media about the innocent people in Israel, from the time those kids are born and can understand the language, they're taught to hate Israel. Completely destroy them. So there are no innocents there, Jerry. And uh, it is it is Hamas who is um, causing their people the danger. The blood is not on Israel's head, no matter how the media wants to paint it. The blood is on the head of Hamas. So we need to understand that. So God cares about everybody. God loves the world. But Israel is his chosen people, the apple of his eye. He didn't choose Israel because they were better. He chose Israel. The same reason Jerry chose you and me, because they were weak. They were just as bad as everybody else. Abraham. Abraham was very simply a uh, an idol worshiper from an idol worshiping family. And God reached out to him. And Abraham received God believing him. And that's when everything changed. That was the beginning of God's people, Israel. So um, we need to be really careful about... Oh, I'm so sorry. We need to be really careful about the innocence and and, and listening to, um, you know, college students. And um, we, we... we have to be objective. They hate Israel. They've sworn to kill them. How do you make peace with them? They're just wars. Israel has the right to defend themselves. And it seems like the media fails to recognize that. Appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from... <clears throat> Anonymous. I recently heard believers who don't like the terms leader to describe a husband and helper to describe a wife when teaching their kids. They fear those words will hinder their kids as they get older to feel less than as or less than as a girl and to give too much power to a man and put both out of focus um, that Christ. I'm sorry, that, that, and put both out of focus that Christ comes absolute first. I looked at many verses in the Bible that states this is the role of the marriage, first obeying and trusting God. Could you give more context on these terms and structure in a marriage? You know, Anonymous, recently, whenever you say I heard believers who don't like terms, we don't have the right to change the language. The wife is a helpmate. I will find a helper suitable for Adam. That's God's design. And and we are accusing God. We're, we're, we're judging God because we don't like the terms. 
it's mindful to me of real estate people now no longer calling a, uh, the master suite a master suite because, well, that could defend some people, so let's call it the primary suite. Um, words matter, and when you get progressive confessing Christians who want to cave into the world, well, we don't like the term, so let's change them. Remember, we don't have the right to do that. And as to the worry about hindering kids as they get older feel less than, um, you know, the reality is, is when we're filled with the love of God, we understand who we are. I am the poor, the pitiful, the blind, the wretched, the naked from Revelation. The letter to the church at Laodicea. Uh, God chose the foolish things, the weak things, the shameful things, the despised things, even the things that are not. That's who I am. And when we understand that's who we are, then this love of God that's poured out into our hearts becomes our comforter. And we don't have to worry about whether or not we have enough self-esteem. So what we have to do is we have to rely on the character and the nature of God. And his character, his nature, indicates he loves everybody equally. He is no respecter of persons. And the result of that is we can all of us rest in the Lord. So God gave us the rule. The husband is the head of the house. Jesus himself, he submitted to the authority of his father, though he was equal in every way to his father, he submitted to the authority of the Father. That was the example. God is the head of Christ, God the Father. Christ is the head of the church. That means he makes the rules. The husband, he says, is the head of the wife. That's only authority. It only deals with roles. It doesn't mean that we're smarter. It doesn't mean we're better. It doesn't mean that God loves us anymore. It simply means that God gave us a pattern. He established it. And to choose to call God unfair or to question whether or not that's a good thing is to question the very nature and character of God. And you cannot put Christ first. You know, the, the, the woman who says, well, I don't want to be a helper, is not putting Jesus first. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And Jesus says, that's the rule that I've designed for you. It doesn't mean the husband's a dictator. It doesn't mean he can tell her to do whatever he wants her to do. It just means that he's in charge. Hey, 340-9585. I'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, I got carried away and got cut off on on that last one. So uh, for you, Anonymous, I'd like to make two final comments just for emphasis. As I said earlier, language matters. Words matter. We as Christians do not have the right to question the words that Jesus chose as the Holy Spirit was inspiring the Word of God. As believers, we have to agree to agree with Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And it's that simple. So when we let the world 
dictate what words mean and how we should feel and when the world is producing self-esteem. All we have to do is just teach our kids the Bible. Teach them to love Jesus. And for the recently or the recent believers who don't like the terms, our counsel to them is stop listening to those people who deny the inerrancy, the infallibility, the, 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 the authority of the Word of God and start reading their Bibles. Uh, can you imagine the arrogance of saying, Jesus, you know, I just don't think you should have used that word. Paula is my help mate. I can't do what God has asked me to do without her. But you see, she has a thriving ministry and many spiritual gifts that I don't have on her own. And that's because God could trust her with those gifts and with that ministry. And my job is to try to help her as well. We're no longer two, but we are one. And just because there are jerks, I mean, we're all humans. And just because there are jerks who take the woman submit to me card and forget all the rest of the Bible, we can't redefine words because there are some who take advantage of it. So please, please, please understand our Bible, understand the authority of the Word of God, and then make a decision. Am I going to believe those who say, well, this might hinder our children, or are we going to believe God? Train your children up in the way they should go, and in the end, they will not depart. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Billy wants to know, uh, I know it is wrong to do church online, but why? I actually get more out of the sermons from home. Billy, it's wrong because God said to go to church. Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. Uh, that's Hebrews 10.25. Um, we have to, as I said to another question, agree with God. The other th- reason it's wrong is because church isn't about you. Church is about what Jesus wants to say to you. Church is about how God wants to use you to minister to others. And just because so many of us, and Billy, I don't know you, so this isn't about you, but just because so many of us want to stay home and be lazy and be comfortable, and then we pretend that we're serving God somehow, uh, doesn't make it right. The only way to thrive in your walk with Jesus is to serve others. And church is the place you do it. I had a pastor one time, uh, somebody that wanted to be a pastor, asking me, uh, so, so do I have to be at church every time the doors are open? I said, are you a servant? He said, yes, I'm a servant of God. Well, the church that God's called you to meets on Wednesday and Friday in, at our church and on Sundays. So, yeah, you got to be here. Because that's when the opportunity presents itself to serve the Lord. So, Billy, church isn't about you. Let me also say something else. You know, we can go online and we can go to these great mega churches that have a seemingly unlimited budget, and they put on such a good show. And then we go to church where the real people are, and we think, well, this is boring compared to that. You know, I, I'm I'm a pastor. If I had to choose to listen to um, some of the guys online uh, who are just unbelievably gifted communicators 
or even listen to me, I would choose them too. But we are to do or go where God calls us. The local church, that's the place where God uses our gifts. And we've got to get over this. Well, it's all about the sermon. No, God's word will never return void. God wants to speak to you. He wants to convict you. He wants to correct you. He wants to encourage you. Um, But that's really not what it's about. It's about what you do with it and using your opportunity to deny yourself and minister to others. You know, Billy, we pray here at Calvary Chapel for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearfully angry. Every time we open the door here, those people fill the room. And we have so many people who God has chosen to to just minister the comfort and love of God to those who are hurting and lost and broken and confused. So uh, church is where you do it, Billy. And you got to do that because God said. Thank you, Billy. Here's a question from Ron, or Juan. I'm sorry. Juan says, what is the best study Bible? I'm thinking about a MacArthur study Bible. Juan, uh, if you've listened to this program, you know I'm not a fan of study Bibles. I'm a fan of Bible Bibles. In other words, um, one of the problems with study Bibles is that people spend more time reading the explanations than they do the text. And I really don't think that that is a healthy way to learn. I think the Spirit of God wants to lead us and guide us. He wants us when we don't know what to do to, to, to be curious enough to dig in and find out the answers. So I think study Bibles actually suppress the understanding of God's Word. That's the first thing. Secondly, regarding the MacArthur Study Bible, John MacArthur is a wonderfully gifted Bible teacher, but his um, doctrine is flawed. He's a Calvinist, and his study Bible is going to pound Calvinism at you. And um, I don't think you're probably discerning enough at this point to understand um, I there are some study Bibles that 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 I like. The C.I. Schofield study Bible is good, but it doesn't have a whole bunch of study notes. Uh, it's more of a Bible Bible. So focus on the Word, not on what people say about the Word. Uh, especially when you're a young Christian, you're so impressionable. Um, you know, we'll say, "Well, I don't understand this verse." We'll look down at the bottom of the page, and and we end up just mimicking what is already said without checking it out. So it's very important, one that, that you really learn your Bible. I know it's frustrating at times. I know it can be confusing. Um, the reality is that we we just don't um, know what it says. It's When I first got saved, one, uh, I'd never opened a Bible. And so, of course, I was confused. But what I did with that confusion is really dig in and trust that the Holy Spirit was going to lead me into truth. And that's exactly what he's done. So, one, I hope that makes sense to you. If not, um, then if you're going to get a study Bible anyway, um, maybe not the MacArthur Study Bible. Jeff says in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, Paul says something uh, he says, is him speaking and not the Lord. 
does that mean it's not inspired? The answer is no. Let me read the passage, and I'm going to go back um, uh, a couple of verses to, to verse 10. Uh, Paul is saying, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and husband must not divorce his wife. Here's the verse. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. Just the opposite of the other one. If any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. So, Jeff, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, when he says, not I, but the Lord, in verse 10, what he's saying is, uh, this is something I heard directly from the Lord, whether in Revelation or or the Lord spoke it to him, to him uh, in, in Arabia, in the Arabian wilderness. Uh, he's saying, no, this is what I heard. So this is coming out of Jesus' mouth. But then when he says in verse 12, this is I, not the Lord, he's making the assumption that the Spirit is leading him. But that doesn't mean it's not inspired or that it's any less true at all. Uh, we know that the whole Bible is inspired by God, and that's what we um, we have to really um, understand. So um, that's the answer, but it's all inspired. Every word in our Bibles is inspired by God. Thank you very, very much, Jeff. Let's go to Scott from Von Ormy. Scott, good to hear from you again. God bless you, brother. How you doing today? I'm doing really well, thank you. All right. Um, I just wanted to make a comment on your uh, the last question about, well, previous question about the uh, study Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I have cross-references in every Bible that I've had, but I ran into some of the other day, and they didn't have any in theirs. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a, you know, I thought it was standard. I guess I was a little naive, but um, maybe you could speak on that. Um, to me, that is a, a very valuable resource when I'm studying my studying the Scripture, but I just wanted to make that statement, and I'll listen to you on the air. Thank God you, Scott. Better. I'm really glad that you did, because uh, uh, I he he reminded me one of the best Bibles. In fact, my favorite Bible I've ever had is a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, and uh, it just takes you from uh, if you're looking at a verse, it'll it'll show you all the references. If you follow that chain, it'll show you all the references to that verse in the rest of Scripture. Now, reference Bibles are great. Um, uh, We can actually do that work a lot more quickly now with uh, Bible study programs on computer. But um, um, the the reference Bibles are really good, and I think it helps to go back and dig in. And I think the idea behind the reference Bible is, is learning to let the Bible interpret itself. So I agree with you, Scott. So all of you can put this in your in your to-do list. Find a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, and it makes it very orderly and very easy to follow the references from one to the other. So um, thank you for the recommendation, Scott. Uh, the, the, again, when there are there are Bibles that aren't reference Bibles, there are Bibles that are just Bible. God bless somebody in my church. I had a a, a person bring me a Bible that is the the largest print King James version that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, she knows that I'm I'm visually impaired, uh, and it didn't have anything but the Bible in it. And I just absolutely love that kind of a Bible. So I hope that works. Thank you, Scott. Here's an anonymous question. I know we're supposed to pursue holiness, but at least in my life, it seems holiness is running too fast. Can you help? 
Um, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit is a speed equalizer, to use your metaphor. Um, that power is um, it helps us catch up. It's that simple. So here's the thing you've got to understand. When holiness is running ahead of you, you're not filled with the Spirit. You're not keeping up with Jesus. Um, you know, we have to pursue holiness. Uh, the way we do that is to find out who Jesus is and spend time with him. Let Jesus be the one to keep you close. And every time holiness seems elusive or out of the, 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 the our touch, uh, it's because we're focused more on things uh, of this world or the desires of our flesh. Um, I'll just give you an example for me, uh, language. I had a filthy mouth before I got saved. And I knew when I got saved, I couldn't talk like that anymore. I shared this on the program a week or two ago. Um, as filthy as my mouth was, I, I've cussed one time in the almost 33 years that I've been saved. So you just have to keep up with Jesus. So you hang out with Jesus and holiness is not only um, realistic, but holiness will consume you. And when, when holiness overcomes your flesh and the temptation uh, of things in this world, what will happen is holiness will be that which satisfies that's why it's really important to pursue holiness. Um, the New Testament says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we've got to pursue holiness. It should be the desire of every born-again Christian's um, heart all day, every day. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Henry. Henry says, how can I discover my spiritual gifts? Henry, this is a great question, and people are looking for some mystical answer to this. But here's the answer. Uh, serve. That's the way you're going to discover your spiritual gifts. Just serve. Do something. You know, in our church, we used to, we don't do it as much anymore, but we used to say, you know, we have needs for serving here or serving in this ministry or that ministry. Um, and we don't do that much anymore. But whenever you know there's a need, just say, okay, Lord, I'm your man. And and when you start serving, then the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the spiritual gifts that you have. Not only will he reveal those spiritual gifts, but he will give you additional spiritual gifts. First Corinthians 12, 7 says that these gifts are manifest to every believer. The problem is we just sit and wait to find out what it is. God says, just serve. Just serve. If your church needs a cleanup crew, serve. If your church needs a, a children's Bible teacher, um, go to the children's ministry leader and say, um, here's my application. I'll, I'll do it. Um, I like to tell people, especially brand new people, uh, go sign up for the usher ministry. Go talk to Pastor Matt, who heads up our usher ministry, um, and get involved. Uh, that's when you begin to understand the value of the gifts that God has given you because you see the benefit of those gifts being poured out for others. It's really, really critical that we don't sit still. We don't just wait. 
we just go. Uh, I will tell you, Henry, one of my pet beeves is in church. Excuse me. In in a lot of churches, you know, we've resorted to psychology. You know, we've got these little questionnaires that measure our aptitude. And, and, and uh, you know, they, they, they say that this is the way we'll tell you what your spiritual gifts are. And they have you take this profile, psychological profile. That is not of God at all. That is not how you discover your spiritual gifts. You discover your spiritual gifts by serving others. We have to lose our life to find it. When we lose it for Jesus, he promised that we can have that abundant life. This is Oz. Um, I'm assuming short for Ozzy. Uh, I have a friend who said Noah was a preacher. Uh, where did he get that? It's not in the Bible. Is that true? Uh, it is. Peter said that he was a preacher of righteousness. That's pretty important. The Bible identified him. For 120 years, Noah was faithful to build with one hand. And this is my metaphor. Build with one hand and preach with the other. And I just always see him with a, a, a hammer in one hand and a Bible in the other. And we know he was a preacher, a preacher of righteousness. So very important. He got that from the Bible. That is absolutely true. Chuck wants to know, why did God bury Moses' body instead of letting the Israelites do it? Um, Chuck, God knew something about human nature, certainly about the Israelites' human nature. If they had Moses' body, they would have worshipped it. They would have probably mummified it and kept it around and dragged it around with them. Um, and, and God says, uh, no, they're going to look not to Moses, they're going to look to me. Remember Joshua, he was given the assignment of, of succeeding Moses, probably the worst job ever. Moses so revered by Israel. And uh, the book of Joshua opens with God telling Joshua, get over it, Moses is dead. Now let's do this the right way. So uh, they would have worshipped Moses' body. Um, not only that jug, but we also know that God had plans for Moses' body. Moses is going to be uh, one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Um, uh, Moses representing the law. Elijah, the other one, representing the the prophets. Jesus said, the law and the prophets testified of me. And that's exactly what's going to happen uh, in the end times as well, uh, in the Great Tribulation. So God had other plans for Moses' body. So that's why he did it. Thank you. We're inside five minutes now. Here is a question from Annie. She says, I don't understand why God chose bad men to be kings in Israel and Judah. Since he knew everything, why didn't he choose better kings? Well, Annie, there's a couple of reasons. One is because there weren't any better kings. Uh, the northern kingdoms, you read about their kings, there's none of them that are good. Even in the south, in Judah, uh, there were only a few good kings relative to the whole. So there just weren't any good men to be kings. Now, the next answer describes, I think, the situation in the world today, and in particular in the United States of America. God gives people the leaders they deserve. I want to say that again. God gives people the leaders they deserve. 
You know, in Israel, when Samuel tried to talk him out of asking for a king, no, we want a king like everybody else. And uh, he told them all the bad things that would happen. And they said, we know that you're telling the truth, but we still want a king like the other nation. And Samuel was bummed. And God said, don't take it personally, Samuel. It's not you they're rejecting. It's me they're rejecting. Uh, And so God gave them Saul. Saul started well, but he didn't turn out to be a good king at all. His heart was opposing God. He didn't walk in faith. He didn't finish well. And so then, of course, David came next. That was a man after God's own heart. But but from that point forward, the kings were not good, and the people got what they deserved. Now, i got to tell you, I can look around at our government. I'm talking about all the way from the White House down to government at the local level. And we see people going crazy. I don't know how many of you saw the the uh, the news video uh, about the immigrants in in New York City who uh, ganged up on and beat severely beat police officers in New York, and and you know people didn't come along to help them, and um, you know that's a reflection of leadership. Now some of those migrants who were arrested, they arrested only four or five of them. And some of those migrants who are arrested are already out on bail, less than 24 hours already out on bail because of the bail laws and and rules that they have in New York City, uh, a so-called progressive town. We deserve that leadership. We keep voting for them. Things keep getting worse and worse and worse. We keep voting for the same people. So, Annie, we get the king or the president, or the governor, or the senator, or the mayor that we deserve. You know, people talk about people aren't really going out to vote. So many people just completely have removed themselves from the voting process at all. Part of that is because we don't really have any legitimate choices. So that's, I hope, applicable in a an election uh, season that we are now going through, Annie. Um, but uh, the the reality is that um, this is what we deserve. We can change it by turning to God. We can change it by repenting of our sins. But if you're honest, it really looks like the world isn't really at all interested in repenting or turning to God. And we're going to keep getting the same kind of leaders. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. So with that, let me sign off and let me say that Jesus is coming soon. We need to understand he's coming soon and we need to get ready. And the message that we have, the message of salvation by grace through faith, it's our responsibility to carry that message out. When you think about who you're going to vote for, when you think about sharing your opinions all over the Internet, make sure that they're God's opinions rather than your own. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Really, thank you for putting up with my uh, coughing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, Paula will be live in studio with us tomorrow. May the Lord just comfort you today. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 
And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.